Well, hey, cousins, you are listening to Revolutionary Hood Rat with Kim Young of Doplex Social Worker. And welcome back. Y'all, I missed you. I won't hear last week because I just, I didn't have it, <laughs> number one. Number two, I also didn't have my microphone and my recording equipment, so I just couldn't do an episode. But hey, I'm back. And by the time y'all listen to this, it will be Beyonce Day for me. I will be preparing for the Renaissance show, probably drinking a lot of Prosecco, making sure my outfit is fully intact so that I can gather my entire life at the Renaissance revival. So I'm recording early because I want to be responsible and I don't want to miss another episode and I just have shit to talk about. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it with our revolutionary news for the week. And we're going to shout out Miss India N. Edwards, 104-year-old baddie from Jersey City, who also is a social worker. So if y'all are learning about Miss India N. Edwards, like I am for the first time, um, I came across this article that was published in the Jersey City Times about Miss Edwards, who um, is 104 years old. She has lived in Jersey City all of her life. She was one of the pioneers in the civil rights movement in Jersey City. And along with that, this social work baddie had other achievements in the field to include serving as, hold on, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me cite my sources. Here we go. Um, So she had milestones in advancing racial equality, becoming the first Black social worker for the Hudson County Welfare Board, the first Black social services director for the Lutheran Home, and the first Black executive director of Jersey City's Office on Aging, and the first Black social services director at Christ Hospital. So shout out to Miss Edwards, 104 years in the game, still a baddie, still doing the work, and has a film that will be premiered in Jersey City about her life and her work. And I always think it's really cool when you come across these stories of um, just pioneers in the work. And then also just people who have just been doing dope shit long before me, paving a way, having a presence and making it incredibly possible for folks like me to show up in this field. So like, shout out to Miss Edwards and all her badness. Um, Let's go ahead and transition into just some Earth is Ghetto for the week because a lot of shit has been happening and not happening all at the same time, if you know what I mean. Um, The first thing that I want to talk about is Michael Orr, because didn't we all see this coming? Like, how can you not see this coming? I know that I am not the first person that y'all are going to listen to that has brought this up. So I'm not going to go into full detail, but Michael Orr, um, the individual that was highlighted in the film, The Blind Side, came out to essentially say like, them white folks have been playing in his face with a conservatorship and lying about adopting him. Um, allegedly uh, taking money from him, making money off of his likeness, his name, his story, everything, everything. And it's almost like, well, what, like, duh, duh. Like anybody who has watched that movie, number one, like I can't stand in no white savior movie at all. And so the blind side was no different. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation on the internet, how that movie just portrayed him as being just dumb, like he didn't know nothing, never was exposed to anything, didn't know how to read, count, sleep in beds, anything. And these magical white people just made his life better. 
And the truth is, like, Michael Orr has never appreciated the way he was depicted in that movie and that he was actually on the Dean's List list when he was in a college in Mississippi and he excelled academically when he was in high school. And then white folks did not introduce him to football. Like, that man had been playing football before they came into his life. Um, and so just that whole story is America. It's the power of whiteness. It's the power of just being able to control and manipulate and use black stories and black bodies for the benefit of whiteness and white people. And like, if people really want to watch a sports movie about some people getting their life together through a narrative around sports, I'm not a big sports person, as you can tell. I'm the one that'd be like, yay, go team great job the thing you did with the ball right I don't know shit about sports but I do like me a good movie and so like instead of watching Blindside we can always watch Coach Carter because Samuel L. Jackson was helping them boys get their life you could watch Pride with Terrence Howard about the black babies in Philadelphia swimming in the water the pool right hell you could watch the great debaters with Denzel Washington there are so many other options aside from the Blindside God, just frustrating. So along with things to watch, y'all, of course, I had to watch How to Become a Cult Leader on Netflix because, duh, I love cults. I love cults. I had shared on my social media not too long ago, maybe like two weeks or so, about like, hey, I'm not gullible enough to join a cult, but baby, I am nosy enough to end up in a cult. And so I definitely watched How to Become a Cult Leader on Netflix. Um, Cause prior to that, it was, I think How to Become a Dictator was that first series and they released the How to Become a Cult Leader. I pretty much knew about everybody they highlighted um, in the series. I think there were six episodes or so, except for Jaime Gomez. And I don't know how nobody told me or how I did not know about Budafield. I knew every, I know about all these cults for the most part. I did not know about Buddha Field. Also didn't know about Holy Hell, the documentary. I think I ended up watching it on Amazon Prime that talked about Buddha Field and all the people who were a part of the movement, AKA the cult and Jaime Gomez, who was apparently God. And if y'all didn't know, God wears eyeliner. And I'm talking about like eyeliner laid slick giving angles crisp god wears eyeliner because jaime who has a lot of different names i can't even recall all his names in this moment in time but baby was tanned down eyeliner on hair slick back he was playing the role of a lifetime because his true motivation was to be an actor and baby he succeeded by being able to run this cult and do everything he was doing. They used to recruit out of like yoga studios and shit. Obviously, it was white people who were drawn to Budafield because it was like in Hollywood at the time and they ended up moving to Texas. But it was, they started out as a commune, being happy, meditating, doing yoga, eating vegetables, wandering around in the wilderness, swimming naked, just enjoying life. And then all of a sudden shit just got weird and they became a cult. And then, like, as I was watching the documentary, just not how to be a cult leader, but watching Holy Hell about Buddhafield, 
it reminded me of this place that we have in Virginia called Yogaville. Now, I'm not saying Yogaville is a, a cult or nothing like that. I think they kind of talk about themselves as a retreat center. All I know is I remember years ago, somebody invited me to go to Yogaville. Because, you know, I'm into yoga. I'm into all that shit. Um, but when I started to look into yoga, but I was like, oh yeah, like you can get different room packages. There are some rooms where you sleep outside. I said, well, how's, how's in a room if you sleep outside? It's not making sense. This math is not math. They're like, oh, but there's also other rooms where you can cohabitate with people. There's single dwellings. Or then you don't talk when you're there. It's a silent retreat. You eat vegetables. I thought that don't sound like nothing that I would do at all. And then when I looked up Yogaville online, there's like the dome and it looks like a lotus and it's in like the mountains in Virginia. I said, hell no. My whole black self is not taking myself up to nowhere called Yogaville ever, ever. But if you have not watched How to Be a Cult Leader and you're into cults and you also want to learn more about Buddhaville and holy hell because they was doing some bullshit, abuse was happening. There, allegedly, there was no drugs and alcohol because Jaime, God, didn't believe in that. But they was doing some shit that looked very drug-like in terms of some of the behaviors. I, I don't know. I don't know. But if you need a good cult documentary, a new one to learn about, I highly recommend Holy Hell about Bootfield. Um, What else? What else? Oh, I've been like going down this portal <laughs> speaking of cults right going down this portal of like watching disney movies i just have not seen before because i just needed to watch things that make me feel good um aside from cult documentaries so i watched uh maleficent i think that's how you say it yo that bitch is sickening sickening like the one with angelina jolie uh cheekbones oh pulled up stretched to the gods in heaven like the visuals the makeup the costumes the story was cute i said oh how have i never seen this how have i never seen this and if i did like a halloween situation i might consider him being like a black maleficent because she was a baddie baddie so like if y'all haven't seen it and if you need a little feel good disney movie i highly recommend maleficent 10 out of 10 across the boards across the board um, the last thing I think I want to mention is a book that I've started reading. Uh, it's the trap. It's called Trap History: Atlanta Culture and the Global Impact of Trap Music by A.R. Shaw. Um, because I have just gone ahead and decided, in true fashion of being an American, of giving myself a title that I may not have earned, may not be qualified or certified to claim, but I'm a claimant anyways. And I'm pretty sure that I want to be like a lyrical anthropologist of trap music. I don't, that don't make no sense, right? Like when that comes out of my mouth, but when I think about it, I really love trap music as a genre. I love the lyrics and the stories that are told um, within like the trap music genre. And I am fully invested in all of the artists that share their art with the world through that medium. And so I just decided, like, I want to go ahead and call myself an anthropologist anthropologist of, like, trap music in the lyrical sense, in the words. And so, of course, I have to read books. But this particular book, y'all, I cannot put this shit down. Like, A.R. Shaw has really laid out a really nice, cohesive um, 
story that captures the history of when trap music first started and like its global impact not regional not just national but like the global impact of trap music there's also stories for days inside of this book he even tells a story about tyler perry like if people don't even know tyler's particular story he was you know he's from new orleans if i'm not mistaken like in you know louisiana grew up in poverty was homeless living in his car all this other kind of stuff but we all know tyler because he ended up in atlanta georgia but baby who would have known that the reason Tyler Perry decided to move to Atlanta is because he went to Freaknik? Can y'all imagine Tyler Perry at Freaknik? And if you don't know what Freaknik is, I'm not going to explain it because I don't even have the words to because that's not of my generation. But I'm going to tell you, I can't wait for the documentary to drop about Freaknik because some of them Gen Xers, baby, y'all, y'all was having a time, a time. But yeah, the reason Tyler Perry moved to Atlanta, Georgia in the first place, because he went to Freaknik and he saw all of just the vibrance of Black people. Also saw the different economic situations of Black people, saw the opportunities that Black people were having all from going to Freaknik. Tyler Perry went to Freaknik. Tyler Perry went to Freaknik. And like, I can't quite shake this image out of my head but I'm so grateful that A.R. Shaw is telling these stories inside of this book and I can't put it down and I cannot wait to finish it and share more with anybody who wants to talk to me about trap music because I love this shit I love this genre of music this genre of storytelling I have so much respect for these artists and what they are contributing to the world and most importantly the lens they have provided me for better understanding those that I serve and love the most. Like young people, young adults, families living in the trap. Like that, that is my population of choice, of love, of commitment, of purpose. And I I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Um, speaking of the trap, let's go ahead and get into a story from the trap for the week. Full warning for the story from the trap for the week. I'm going to be cussing probably like I have never cussed before on this podcast because the story from the trap for the week involves student loans. And well, them motherfuckers got me bucked up. Fucked up. So fair warning. I'm going to be cussing talking about these student loans. Because I have visceral <laughs> reactions to all this shit. So when I think about how, and I know I am not alone. There are countless other millions, millions of Americans, millions of Black women, Black people, people across this country that are dealing, struggling with, and pissed off by student loans. So I can't even recall my first experience with like signing that initial promissory note or understanding the process back in 2005 when all this shit first got started for me. So like other people, you know, I'm a first generation college student. 
my parents were trying to figure this thing out the best that we could talking with advisors and experts I even still remember because we didn't know right like my parents didn't know I didn't know we didn't have family we can ask about these things I remember my parents got caught up in one of those college scams from the early 2000s where there was like this dude this white dude who was going out all over the country and he was soliciting and talking with uh, parents about like how they can help their students, how they help their kids get into college with scholarships. And he would like pay for his seminars, all of this shit. And it just ended up being a scam. I remember being going down to Mission Valley. I'm from San Diego County. Um, I remember like going down to Mission Valley to one of the convention centers or something. Um, And like we were in the, and it was a hotel. Over there by like uh, Mission Valley Mall and shit. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, we was in a hotel ballroom. And I remember being in there with like hundreds of other parents and kids. And this man was selling dreams essentially and taking our money. And so my parents definitely paid because we thought they thought it was the best thing to do to help me get access to money to be able to pay to go to school. So that shit didn't pan out. Right. Of course, took the route, wrote scholarship applications, essays, submitted them, got a couple of scholarships, but ultimately had to end up taking out student loans because how else was education going to be paid for in my household? And at the same time, I come from the generation where every last one of the people in my circle when I was in school and, and other people as well, like we were pushed into college. I didn't have trade available inside of my high school. There were no conversations about other career pathways or possibilities. It was like, you are going to college. Hell, they had me in college when I was still in high school. Because I was going to community college when I was still in high school. And then transitioning into a university when I completed high school, they also had all of these education compacts with local universities that were like, you would get automatic admission into the schools if you did X, Y, and Z while you were in high school. So college was the only option. And we don't talk about that enough. Like they try to make it seem like it was a choice. And yes, in all things, most things, there is just choice, there's opportunity, but baby, this was not one of them times. College was not a choice for me. College was, bitch, you going to college. So I did, I did. And the way I was able to do that was of course my parents contributed some to the tuition, but I ended up going to college outside of my city. So I didn't live at home, um, and I come from a, a big ass state. California is massive as hell. Like even the application process at the time was overly simplified, but complicated. Like you had to, <laughs> you have the CSU system and the UC system. So the California State University system and the University of California systems of schools that have like all the public universities across the state are coupled into these two institutions. And so you apply for school, you go into the portal, I remember you go into the portal, you pick the universities that you want to apply for. I think I had applied to like San Francisco State. Um, yeah, San, San Francisco State, San Jose State University, Northridge University, Long Beach University, and like one other school. I think it had a cap of like five or six that you could do. I didn't apply to any of the UC schools because at the time you had to take SAT twos. You already had the ACT. 
the SAT and then to go to the UC school in California, you had to take ACT twos, which were subject specific. I said, oh, no, they got me fucked up. I'm not taking any more tests. I had already took AP classes and IB classes and then the AP test and the IB test to be able to get college credit. I said, I ain't taking about a goddamn more test. No more money, no more tests. So I didn't end up applying to any of the UC schools. And so I applied for college. I eventually got into San Jose State University, which is eight hours without traffic. And there's always going to be traffic, but it's eight hours between like San Diego and California. So obviously I needed money to be able to actually live there. So I end up with taking out the student loans, going through the whole FAFSA process, not getting any, any financial aid, not a drop of financial aid. Um, so all of it was either like my parents were paying a portion of it and the other portion was coming from student loans. And at the time I'm 18 years old, I don't understand what's going on. All I know is like, if I don't sign these papers, I don't have money to go to school. And if I don't go to school, shit, not going to school was not an option, right? So like, if I don't sign the papers, I don't go to school and not going to school is not an option. So I got to sign the papers. So I signed these papers and then I sign them again for four more years to be able to get the loans that I need to complete school. And folks who also have gone through this process knows that when you go to a university for undergrad, it is actually rare that you complete school in four years. There's a lot of people and they end up in undergrad for like four to six years just trying to complete school. But I was able to do it in four years. And so I graduate with undergraduate student loans uh, with my little degree in behavioral science and sociology, not knowing what the hell I'm going to do with that shit. Uh, <laughs> not on what I'm gonna do with that shit, but I knew it had cost some money. But still, right at 22, I think when I finished undergrad, I still didn't understand like everything that was happening. I also forgot to mention that as I am in the middle of undergrad, is when the public service loan forgiveness program is announced. Right. So like, hey, if you do 10 years of public service, then, you know, you can apply for forgiveness. So, of course, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I guess I might end up somewhere in public service with this behavioral science, sociology shit, liking kids, working with them. And so, like, I'm just signing, getting loans with the anticipation like, oh, this will all work out. This will all work out. Um, so I fast forward, I end up in grad school out of the state because honestly, it was cheaper to leave the state of California for grad school and pay out of school, out of state tuition in Virginia than it was to go to school in California and play, pay in-state tuition. Shit was nuts. Nuts. So end up in grad school, accumulate more student loans, still trusting this public service loan forgiveness program, a process. Um, long story short, a bitch ended up with $80,000 in student loans. And I graduate from undergrad, I mean, graduate from grad school in 2013. It is now 2023. And I still have the same amount. No, I, there's more. I owe more than I did when I originally took out loans because the goddamn interest rate. Congress has set the interest rate at 7% and it's been at 7% this whole time. The interest rate on my mortgage is not even 7%. 
the interest rate on my motherfucking mortgage is not even as high as seven. I think that bitch might be like four, 4.5, something like that. So I've been paying on student loans for the last decade. And them bitches is the same motherfucking price. The price keeps going up. The price keeps going up. I've been paying on my student loans for over a decade and the price keeps going up. I've been paying on my mortgage for the last five years and that price is going down. What the fuck is going on? And now here we are a few months shy of when student loan payments are going to resume after they've been on pause since March of 2020. Them bitches ain't got money from none of us. Definitely no money from me since March of 2020. And they seem to be just fine because they have forgiven their own loans through the PPP. They've been giving trillions of dollars to folks around the globe. But here we are, millions, millions of Americans of all genders, all races, all shit. Most, well, I've almost said all classes, almost messed that up because, uh, you know, but all genders, <laughs> all races, all regions, every state dealing, struggling with student loans. I went on to my student loan account earlier in the week. So Mohala, I think that's how you pronounce them hoes name. I don't know. I used to have Fair Loan before I had Fair Loan. I had Navient before I had Navient. I had Nailnet. Before I had nail net, I had somebody else. All I know is they keep giving me a new bitch. Like every every couple of years, I guess somebody new I got to deal with. So now I got to deal with Mohala. And Mohala had the audacity to tell me that my upcoming student loan payment as of October of 2023 is going to be $633.50 a month. How? How? $600. $33.50 a month. How? That is more than half of my goddamn mortgage. How? Like, what in the actual fuck? What are we doing? What are we doing? And it's even increasingly frustrating because the federal government, elected officials at every single level, they're playing in our fucking face. They think we're stupid. Like they think we don't see exactly what is happening and what they are doing. Like what is going on? And so I get on Twitter I share what my monthly payment is looking like. And then there are countless other people who are like, yo, like they saying I owe 900 or mine will be a thousand or I, you know, I applied for an income-based program. So my payment will be 300 and something, but like, I still can't afford any of the shit. People cannot afford these payments. And then when I think about my particular situation, yeah, I own a home. I have a full-time job and, you know, I run a business. I have no kids. I have what people would consider to be, you know, disposable income. But, and, no, but, and I'm only 35. 
That means I got a lot of life left to live and plan and prepare for. There is no way. Like when I think about my situation, if I'm feeling this level of anxiety and frustration and I'm solid for the most part, I still don't want to give these hoes $633.50 a month because I don't fucking have it to give them. Like I'm solid for the most part. I can't imagine. My God, I cannot imagine what other people who may not have the same financial securities or safety nets that I have, what the hell they are experiencing and going through. I am pissed the hell off because it does not have to be this way. It does not have to be this way. They pushed us into school. They told us it was our only option. They sold us a dream that was never attainable. It was never possible. That work hard and you can make it bullshit was never true. It was never attainable and it was never possible. These bitches, and I'm the bitch I'm referring to this time, these bitches student loans, these shits is worse than like a payday lender. It's some predatory bullshit. They preyed on poor people, folks who did not know, young people, who literally signed their lives, their fight, their lives away when you think about it. Their freedom, their peace of mind, their forward thinking, the possibilities. Sign that shit away at the tune of trillions of goddamn dollars. It does not have to be this way. But yet it is. And they really got us fucked up. They really got us fucked up. Because they know they'll never get the money back from us. They're going to take whatever they can as long as they can get it. But they will never get the $80,000 back from me. I don't have it to give it. And they know that. I've literally just been paying on the interest of the loans for the last decade. Never touching the principal. I owe like almost $6,000 just in interest. And every payment I make is an interest payment. It's not even a payment on the motherfucking principle of the loan. And they know that shit. They know that shit. Mm. Told y'all I was gonna cuss. And for that, I am not sorry. Because <laughs> I actually enjoy cussing. Because sometimes cussing is the only way to really express how you feel. And they really got me and you and us fucked up so the tale from the trap is that I have literally felt trapped by the thought of this student loan payment and I've also felt trapped in like what is actually possible because I don't have it to give many of you do not have it to give we do not have it to give and even if we did why would we give it to them them being the government. Even if we had it, why would we give it to them hoes? They got plenty. Education should be free any the fuck ways. That's all I got. I'ma stop. <laughs> ah, God. Oh my God.
This shit is stressful. It is stressful. And I'm just tired of like, tired of them playing in our faces like we stupid, like we don't see what's happening. But look, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a go ahead and stop right there. And I'm going to transition into just the good black word for the week. All right. <laughs> so for the good black word for the week. So along with just feeling overwhelmed by just the introduction of these student loan payments that I allegedly have to start paying. And many of us, all of us have to start paying in October. I've also been feeling overwhelmed by my own purpose, right? Like I don't feel unclear about what my purpose in life is, right? I don't feel unclear about that. I understand it. What I have been struggling with is accepting my purpose because it feels incredibly overwhelming. Like to know that you have presence and that you have influence and that people look to you for shit is it's overwhelming. It really is. Um, And sometimes I feel alone in that level of being overwhelmed because I'm the one that is allegedly supposed to have answers. I'm supposed to have the way things are need to get done or what needs to happen or what we need to do and what direction we need to go in when most times I don't fucking know. And I think recently I've been feeling like I don't know because when I get overwhelmed, like a lot of other people, right? Like a lot of us, when I get overwhelmed, I just do nothing. I do absolutely nothing. And it's been like that for me for maybe like the last two and a half weeks of just feeling so overwhelmed that I do nothing. And not nothing in the sense of like what my professional responsibilities are, my personal responsibilities are, but nothing in the sense of like operating within my purpose because it has felt incredibly overwhelming. But like I said, I'm not unclear on what my purpose is. I'm very clear about it. I need to move through to the place of accepting it. And that is really hard, especially during these times when a lot of folks with visibility or with platforms, they just appear incredibly disingenuous or they're creating or doing or speaking and showing up in places all because they just want to be seen to make a profit or gain attention to be able to acquire whatever the fuck they're after and I just don't move that way I don't move that way um and I feel that like the people who really rock with me understand that and I feel like that's probably one of the reasons they love like or pay attention to what I do or what I have to say and at the same time recognizing that my purpose is bigger than what I'm allowing myself to be. And I really need to figure that shit out. I really need to figure that shit out. Because although I'm clear in who I am, what I'm here to contribute, what I'm seeking to do, I need to accept how big of a presence I can have and influence that I can have. And kind of, not kind of, and step into that. With, a, with more security and clarity than what I have now. 
So I don't have the the, <laughs> the most um, uplifting good black word for the week. But what I do have is this acknowledgement that it is okay to accept and admit that you've been overwhelmed. And with that acceptance, you can decide what you want to do, right? Like sit in that a bit longer if you need to, or move through it to a place where you just have greater direction and clarity on what it is you're you're trying to do or where you're trying to go. So that's where I'm finding myself. I'm accepting that I have been overwhelmed and that I am overwhelmed by my own purpose because my purpose, it feels big, y'all. Sometimes it, 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 my purpose feels big. And I don't know how many other people deal with that, know about that, believe in that. But I'm accepting that my purpose, it's, it's, a, it's a big one. And that anything big is going to be overwhelming until you accept it for what it is and then decide what to do about it. <laughs> so I am working on accepting that my purpose is big and then deciding what I'm going to do about that. Um, that's where I am. That's what I got. And I appreciate y'all immensely um, for showing up and accepting me for who I am and what I got. And as always, like, please, please remember to take care of your heart so that we can take care of each other because we all we got. Truly. And fuck them student loans. We'll talk next week. <laughs>